and a very warm welcome to today's podcast of the Office of the Friedrich Ebert Foundation here in Cyprus. We're talking about a report written by Elias Joachimoglu and Nikos Tomikvignotis about post-pandemic stimulus packages to restart the Cypriot economy. The context, obviously, is the economic impact of the COVID-19 crisis that triggered globally recession affecting almost all countries uh, severely. That also true for Cyprus. Uh, forecasts have been reduced by the government, but we still expect a recession of five, six, seven percent um, for this uh, year, and it's unclear how things will look like next year. And uh, Nikos Samikliniotis, who is professor of sociology at the School of Social Sciences at the University of Nicosia, but also the head of the team of experts. Uh, of Cyprus for the Fundamental Rights Agency of the European Union, and Elias Joachimoglu, who is an independent researcher, I understand a strong economic background, uh, proposed a wage-led strategy to stimulate the economy and get Cyprus out of the recession. Nikos, could you please summarize the paper in a few sentences and point out the major aspects? And is your proposal already connected to the Uh, initiative of the EU Commission for Fair Minimum Wage Policy? Well, yes, we we, consider, we we all know that the global effect of the pandemic is expected to be devastating for many countries, including Cyprus. The, uh, the government uh, in the budget proposal for, for next year already predicts a 5.5% uh, reduction. But uh, as we know, this may well be an underestimation because governments generally tend to underestimate negative growth because of the expectations uh, that uh, are built by, by saying this. So we are definitely going to have negative growth. And under such circumstances, we need stimulus, the kind of stimulus which is necessary to produce growth, to counter and uh, redress a possible kind of vicious cycle of depression and reduce also the dangerous rise in inequality and poverty. So we consider this to be a wage-led growth uh, strategy, which is the, the only way actually to achieve this, uh, because otherwise uh, think other proposals are actually ineffective. Um, it has a number of advantages. A proposal like this has a number of advantages. And indeed, as you asked, uh, it is closely connected to what the Commission has been doing over the past uh, few months. It had a second consultation on on what it proposed to be a kind of fair uh, fair uh, wage, uh, fair minimum wage policy, uh, which is proposing a kind of a decent living as an essential part of uh, recovery. Um, to build resilient economies and minimum wages. Now, what we consider to be essential is, that, is precisely what the Commission is advocating, which is basically that with minimum wages, which has to be appropriately uh, negotiated and complied with, with social partners, of course, is one, it provides uh, vulnerable workers with a financial buffer in case of hard times. Two, it creates greater incentives for work Improving, improving productivity and expectations. It reduces wages inequality in society. It increases, of course, domestic demand, which is really the key here to, to uh, growth of the economy and kind of redress the, the vicious cycle. And of course, 
it closes the gender gap, which is the other aspect of this of this policy. So these are these are the advantages of this policy of what we propose to be a wage-led growth strategy. Because before we go into more detail of the report, can you give us a a more precise breakdown of how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the Cypriot economy? Well, we are, um, I mean, apart from the the expectations, we know that um, uh, we we have gone into a deep recession already from the first wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, We know that the global effect has been devastating. Um, If you look at... um, um, we are probably in a, in a kind of a global uh, recession, which uh, is probably the worst in the last 200 years, as the IMF said. Now, the, the situation in Cyprus is is even more, is particularly severe because Cyprus is a services and tourist economy. When 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 you have an economy so dependent on international demand on 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 such services the the reduction of of our gdp is likely to be uh, much more severe than what is expected the tourism sector for instance has been devastated uh, other services have been devastated already we know this it's happening now uh, unemployment rate has been going up um and uh, we are probably seeing and now we're seeing the greatest uh, poverty we have seen since uh, in, in modern times. I mean, the last report I I read in a couple of days ago talks about 120,000 people living uh, below the poverty line, which is a, a much, which is a very very serious uh, situation. Now, uh, uh, this affects everybody, uh, those with wages, but it affects more those who are in a vulnerable position, particularly. Um, those who are discriminated against, including women who have, were generally, in the, in, if we look at the gender gap in terms of pay, uh, the, the effect is, is, is terrible. So COVID-19 is accentuating and exaggerating uh, inequalities uh, and uh, likely to lead to a much um, greater depression than what is expected. If, if I understand your report correctly, it's basically a demand-led growth strategy by proposing uh, salary increases. Do you do you propose minimum wage increases for all sectors of the economy, even the better privileged one, citing here, for example, the civil servants whose salaries are significantly higher than the equivalent salaries for workers in, uh, in the private sector? Well, a national minimum wage will affect everyone, including the private and public sector. But those who are higher than the minimum wage will not be affected. So it, it will not affect those who are getting a better salary than what is a minimum salary. There are some people working in the public sector who work by, you know, who are part-time, work on uh, hourly paid. They may be affected, but they will not be. It's not that uh, it will affect those who are on high salaries. So in, in that sense, a minimum salary will affect those at the lower end, not those, not the high earners. The high earners uh, will be will be uh, will continue to earn whatever they are earning now. Uh, there may be other policies that we can talk about, we can think about in terms of taxation and and making them pay more um, the burden, including the burden of them, increasing the burden of them, but that is another another policy. The, the minimum salary will affect those at the bottom. Let's bring Elias in. Elias, the, the report describes an odd phenomenon. We have, we have a labor productivity rise in the last years, if I understand correctly, but at the same time, a decline in the average cross real wage, which you would expect to rise together with productivity. What are the reasons for this phenomenon? Well, first of all, the unemployment rate was very high for several years. 
and that reduced wages. Still, what is even more important is that there has been a devaluation of labor during 2013-2015, meaning that there was a shift in the relation between the average wage and unemployment. In other words, since 2013, for any given value of the unemployment rate, the real wage is now lower than before. To give you an example, for 10% unemployment, the average wage now is lower, much lower, than what it was in 2010 or 2012. This structural shift produced a dramatic redistribution of income. The income, the income share of labor has been reduced by 4% points of GDP, which is not uh, a decrease observed in normal times of peace. It is only in times of war that we can have such uh, um, huge uh, decreases in, uh, in uh, income uh, distribution. Profits increased by the same amount. Still productive investment, and I mean non-financial investment, it remained at low levels. And that proves once again that higher profits do not automatically generate more investment. If that were the case, Keynes would never have written its general theory of employment, interest, and, and money. So th this happened. Why did this happen? Because there was a change in the balance of power between workers and employers, between labor and capital. And that change was produced by structural change in the labor market. And I mean changes in uh, industrial relations, which modified the conditions under which the wage is bargained. So we have two factors. One is unemployment. Secondly, uh, second is uh, structural change in the labor market, which changes the balance of power uh, in the bargaining process. So what can we do about it? We must not see the distribution of income in favor of labor and the corresponding structural reform of the labor market simply as a matter of fairness. We must see it, we must see redistribution in favor of labor as active element of a growth process driven by wage increases. And that is what our paper is uh, proposing. Such a growth process can drive the economy to its maximum utilization, to the maximum utilization of its idle resources, taking care, of course, uh, of the balance of payments con constraint. And I will explain what, what this balance of payment constraint is uh, a little bit later. You maybe stay there. Can you explain how this works? What's the logic, the economic logic behind a proposal to increase wages. Why is this the best strategy to overcome recession? Next of addressing uh, a problem of justice uh, you were talking about in, in your previous statement. Well, uh, the private sector of the economy, it, it is left, if it is left uh, to its own devices, it is unable to trigger a spontaneous turn of the economy. And I mean a turn from recession to recovery. And that happens, that is um, for several reasons. First of all, increasing private investment under current conditions 
seems rather improbable. And that is because films have, don't have an incentive to increase their production capacity by investing in, uh, in fixed capital, which is machines and uh, fixed installations, uh, unless two conditions are met. First, to invest, the, uh, to invest the actual rate of capacity utilization should be near full capacity. Otherwise, there is a lot of idle capacity. So firms don't, don't uh, have to, to increase their, their, cap their capacity. They, they already have enough of it. Uh, number two, the expected profitability of new investment should be high, which is not the case today. So both conditions are not met right now. You, so you cannot expect much from this uh, 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 from the side of, of investment. Investment, I, and I mean fixed capital investment, productive investment, not financial investment. Uh, I think is should be expected to remain at very low uh, levels. Furthermore, public investment making use of European funds could be beneficial, but it is not, it is not enough. We need uh, um, an additional strategy to boost uh, demand. Increasing net exports, which heavily depend on tourism. That, on tourism. that seems uh, a difficult, difficult, if not an impossible task. Well, um, uh, as it was predicted by some epidemiologists, uh, we go now through a second wave of uh, COVID-19, and it could be a third and a, and a fourth until um, a, a vaccine uh, is produced. So uh, to, to increase tourism uh, income uh, seems uh, very difficult right, right now. So what is left? We are left with uh, uh, one possible solution to the implementation, and that is the implementation of a wage-led recovery. Therefore, an initial impulse on demand should activate a virtuous cycle in the economy, producing repeated increases in demand until the economy approaches full employment full employment of productive, uh, full use of productive uh, uh, capacity. And of course, taking care that uh, the external trade uh, remains uh, still uh, near balance. So what, one pillar of this demand-led growth strategy is the minimum wage. We are talking about the, the Republic of Cyprus here. What, how high would you suggest should a minimum wage in the context of Cyprus B, to have the desired effect, particularly at the lower end of the income strata? Well, we should uh, uh, calculate that based on two, two uh, assumptions. First, that uh, uh, the minimum wage should be uh, high enough to, to boost um, uh, demand if you have a, a very low minimum wage, it doesn't have any any effect uh, or uh, any, any effect on, on demand or even in the, the well-being of uh, workers. 
So it has to be high enough to induce a, a kind of spillover. High, wages higher than the minimum should be also affected, uh, perhaps uh, at least um, until the, 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 the medium salary wage. So it's a kind of, of optimization you must have and that has to be uh, calculated in a mathematical uh, way. So we cannot propose right now a number. We cannot say the minimum wage has to be uh, 650 euros uh, because we have to, to do uh, a work on that. We have to work on that. But in, but in any yep. case, there are, uh, maybe I can jump in there, there are many examples of other European countries uh, which provide good practices on how this, this can be done. And this can have a positive effect on, on, on the economy, particularly when we're dealing with it at, at this point. And that's why the European Commission is proposing this. So in, in, it's, it's, a, it's not something unique. We're not reinventing here the wheel. Uh, it's already happening and it's already the, the, the direction things are going with the proposal of the EU Commission. I think it's, it's, it's a good point to point out that this is done elsewhere. I remember in Germany, we had a big debate about the introduction of minimum wage uh, very, very recently. And one argument used against it was that it's that it argued that it undermines the bargaining power of trade unions by taking one key prerogative trade unions have uh, to secure salary increases uh, out of the hands of the trade unions. Do you, do you believe that that is, a, that is a valid argument and would... Uh, is this a valid argument also in the context of Cyprus? And do you, and maybe to add to that, do you think that employers in Cyprus are ready to accept a minimum wage? Well, my, my look, it, it, that depends, of course, in the context of we're dealing. We're dealing here with a weakening of trade unions and we're dealing with sectors where there, is no, uh, there, is, there are no trade unions in sight because of the difficulty of operating. Many, many, a large part of the service economy is not unionized. Uh, a large seg large segments of the of of, of labor are, are are not uh, they, they it's very very difficult to unionize them so it's not a matter of taking away their power when they have none already so it, it, in this context it would not affect the bargaining power uh, in in other co in another context also we have at the time when there is high unemployment um, a, a time of of concern about uh, non-unionized uh, sections, non-unionized sections of the economy, uh, um, this will, op will work in actually in the opposite direction. It will improve collective bargaining of trade unions. It will improve, improve the, the, the ability to sit down and negotiate because there is a flaw. When there is no flaw, it's, it's a very, very problematic situation. We have desperate people around willing to accept any conditions of work. So in that sense, I don't think that this is the case, particularly in this context. Um, now uh, I understand that the situation in Germany um, there has been there have been, been there has been um, some opposition to that. But on the other hand, if we look at the the effect on the economy, I understand there has been a, a positive. Uh, it, it played a positive role in in Germany as a whole. Now whether employers would accept this or not, uh, employers have to realize that um, um, when we're dealing with a situation that the, from the macroeconomic perspective, this is absolutely essential. If there's no demand, there is crisis, 
then they, a lot of the, the, the companies will go bust. It's when, and this, if this is the only tool that is available for the economy to grow again, um, it, it, uh, it's, it's something they would have to accept and they have to negotiate. Of course, this is a matter of negotiation, negotiation again and bargaining. And now, given that uh, the, the broader context, as I explained earlier, in the European Union is to try to, via uh, consultation and discussion and debate, to uh, to reach um, a, a European um, logic of uh, a fair minimum wage. Uh, I think a lot of employers will be willing to accept this a lot more than they would have been otherwise. Let's shift the debate from minimum wage to rising income inequality. In 2015, the OECD issued a report uh, basically coming to the conclusion that this is a common phenomenon in many European countries and that this rising income inequality has negative effects on the economy of the, mem- of the member countries. And one solution the OECD proposed was to support women participating in the workforce more. How would your proposal fit within these ideas of the OECD and would, would it benefit women and other discriminated groups in the workforce of Sarpis? And if yes, how? Well, it's, it's, it's precisely um, a, a boost and support for vulnerable workers. If you look at the reasons why uh, the current commission is, is in, has initiated this debate, it's precisely because it's one of the, 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 the it, it provides support for vulnerable workers and as a kind of a financial buffer. You need a financial buffer in, in difficult times. Um, you provide, you reduce wages inequality because you bring those at the bottom further up without necessarily uh, improving the wages of those at the top. Um, actually, it may not mean, it may mean that those at the top are, are, are tax more, uh, but it kind of reduces inequality. And, and it is, it does close the, the gender gap because we know already that a large number, a large percentage of those um, doing types of jobs that are precarious or part-time or badly paid are done by women. Uh, so it's, it, it is very much part of this process, the positive process. So, and there is a mechanism there to bring, to reduce uh, these type of very dangerous uh, excesses that are operating in, in a market uh, op- in, under such conditions. So yes, I think that it would be a very, it would provide a very, very positive uh, benefit for women and other discriminated uh, groups in, in the workforce of, of Cyprus if this is adopted. Um, Elias, let's look at the feasibility of, of your proposal. Is this realistic in the sense that uh, what are the chances of this being implemented? What are the chances uh, of the companies being affected by that, being able to share the increased burden of wages? Um, what will be the political yeah, opposition to your proposals? What, how, simple. what is the feasibility? What are the chances that this proposal will become a reality? What would it take? Well, first of all, our argument uh, runs as, as follows. We have to, to, to explain, first of all, what the argument is in its uh, details. First of all, in Cyprus, private consumption depends heavily on the sum of real wages, on the wage bill. That means, that is, uh, the sum of real wages paid uh, in the country. And when I I say uh, real, I I mean 
the, the purchasing power of, of wages. So uh, if you have more wages, to put it simply, uh, private consumption increases. Secondly, GDP is highly correlated with private consumption. When private consumption increases, GDP also in, increases. Thirdly, labor productivity depends on GDP growth. So if you have higher GDP, you have higher labor productivity. And also labor productivity depends on fair wages. There are several, many studies showing that uh, higher wages lead to uh, higher labor productivity because uh, workers are motivated. And fourthly, wages depend on unemployment rate and labor productivity. So these, these four links, these four relations, uh, give us a virtuous cycle of wage-led growth. In two words, things happened in the following way. A higher real wage increases the sum of real wages, the wage bill, which leads to a rise in private consumption, and that leads to higher GDP and higher labor productivity. Higher labor productivity affects wages and triggers thus a new cycle, which follows the same path as, uh, as before. And that gives uh, several cycles which uh, uh, are produced until the system meets its limits. And its limits is uh, the balance of payments constraint. So uh, I will not go into this in the detail of, uh, of uh, that. And um, I will also will not go in the detail of three secondary virtual cycles, which are uh, formed uh, in, the, in a similar uh, way. So we have several uh, positive feedbacks, spillovers in the economy when there is a rise in uh, real wages, in the purchasing power of wages. And um, I repeat that uh, it is a process which has, which has limits and it has an end. And the end of it is when the, the economy reaches full capacity, uh, full use of its capacity uh, resources. Still, the, this uh, dynamics that I have, uh, I have described it has no internal driver. It has to be triggered from the outside, from, from an external impulse. And uh, that should be a rise in uh, uh, real wages, in, in wages. And that can happen in two ways. There are at least two ways to trigger and accelerate the wage-led growth process. The first is the introduction of the national minimum wage. And... Uh, that can act as the driving force of the process, provided that the initial level of the minimum wage is set at the appropriate uh, level, meaning that uh, beneficiaries, uh, meaning that higher wages than the minimum wage beneficiaries should be expected to have a spillover effect on the wages of other workers, and therefore. Uh, to expect uh, a rise in the average wage in the private sector. And there is a second uh, 
condition for to accelerate second way to accelerate the wage growth process and that is structural reform of the labor market enhancing the bargaining power of workers in the private sector so they can claim higher wages that can trigger the process and increase the dynamism of the the uh, and, and the persistence of the wage led process so uh, we propose uh, these two ways to trigger and accelerate the wage led growth uh, process and um, to come back to this uh, to repeat uh, uh, what i said about uh, the minimum wage to to act as a driving force of the process uh, it cannot be very low and uh, it has to be high enough to generate spillover effects on the wages of other workers which have higher uh, wages than the minimum let us to to the extent that their wages are not higher than the average wage and that is a lot of people having wages lower than the average so these are the conditions under which the process can uh, can uh, be implemented and uh, accelerated and uh, give us the result the expected result let me let me just insist uh, uh, in, the, in the last question on the political aspect of this i mean have you tested the proposal with political parties in cyprus and how likely they are to support it i mean i would expect leftist akel and socially leftist evec to be most open to it uh, but the current government belongs more to the lib- to the market liberal a conservative segment of party politics that probably have a, a longer way to go so you describe it as a win-win proposal basically for everybody so let me just conclude with this with this political questions what are the chances that within the the political framework the party political framework of cyprus this proposal can become a reality well uh, i think i think uh, this is an invitation for me to respond to the that question um i, I look um, i i think that uh, we we're, we're living in a time where we're seeing a lot of the old orthodoxies being questioned one again i mean well, questioned completely well, no one would have expected uh, during the first wave of the pandemic to see that level of intervention in the economy in the united states by the trump administration in the uk but with the Johnson administration or in the Germany or any other EU country uh, to intervene to support workers and to support uh, payments and all people who are out of work to support uh, businesses to intervene in the economy the way they did over the past 40 years we had a policy that the orthodoxy that was imposed was this idea that uh, the government should withdraw and leave it to the market and uh, if anything uh, it, there should be a weakening of the unions and 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 a weakening of the bargaining power of behalf of workers to to reduce their pay to increase profit this was radically changed in because of the current context we, we were seeing things that we would have never imagined before uh, obviously more left leaning governments would want uh, would uh, would be more would be keener to move in this direction but we are in at the time at the time now where the the even governments who are con- which are conservative which were kind of more on the um, market liberal aspect of of ideology they are uh, willing to support workers precisely because we're living in, in crisis time 
And the question is, what is the diagnosis? What are the reasons, the underlying reasons for the current situation? We're living at the moment of a classic deficient demand in the Keynesian sort of times of the, it's, it's, we're often comparing this period to the 1930s, 1920s and 30s, whereby people, um, whereby uh, political parties, political uh, people of different persuasions uh, eventually agreed and they were forced to agree to the reality that in order to create the, di- the dynamic and trigger, the government had to intervene in different ways. Now, we are seeing this um, in by um, a commission led by whom? Led by, uh, not by some sort of left-wing uh, person, by, uh, this was part of the, the political statement by uh, uh, von der Leyen, uh, uh, who, who, who was elected as um, um, president of the commission. So what I'm trying to say here, the chances of this being accepted or not will depend on the broader context of what should be done. There may be opposition. I expect that there will be opposition by those who want to go back to the previous logic. But because of the way now we're in the second wave, we don't even we, this has not been properly calculated uh, on how. Um, on how it will affect the economy. We're dealing with the after effects of the first wave of the pandemic, not the second wave. So we are saying that at this moment, we really need to think of the broader context. And we need to think, not not as if we're kind of a a micro shop uh, owner, but we need to think of the macroeconomy. And the macroeconomy demands this for the benefit of all, including businesses, including workers, including the vulnerable. So it's a proposal that takes into account of the, co- the collective interest for all. Whether uh, uh, this will be accepted or not, it, it will be a matter of bargaining, it will be a matter of articulation, and something that will be put to the debate. And we want to place it at the centre of the debate of what should be done after this. Whether this will be accepted or not, uh, it, we will see and, and time will tell. I think that's a nice way of ending today's podcast. Thank you so much, Elias and Nikos, for your contribution. This was a podcast about a FES report that will be available on our website, fescypress.org, as together with this podcast, which you find on the same website. So please read the report, contribute, get into the discussion. All the best, Elias and Nikos, for you personally during the second wave of that crisis that is not just hitting the economy, but all of us. Uh, Thank you so much for taking part in this podcast.